0: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen ujia Today is Thursday, October 7th. Coming up, Missouri put a man to death earlier this week. We'll take a look at the controversy surrounding the death penalty in the state. But first, some headlines. The Kansas City Council is set to vote today on whether to require masks indoors in the city for at least another month. A committee voted yesterday morning to extend the existing mask mandate to November 4th, but the measure still needs the approval of the full city council. The committee also considered applying the mask mandate only inside schools and school buses. Frank Thompson is the city's interim health director. He recommended that masks be required in all public places for at least another month.
1: By the time it expires, we should be at a point where we could look at beginning to pull back and unwind some of um, some of our mask orders for the public.
0: Thompson said COVID-19 cases have continued to drop since the mask order was put in place. A judge appointed by the Missouri Supreme Court is set to begin proceedings tomorrow in the innocence case of Kevin Strickland. KCUR's Luke Martin reports emotions ran high during portions of yesterday's virtual conference held to bring Judge James Welsh up to speed.
1: The judge wants to decide on Friday what information can be presented and how involved the attorney general can be. But a date to actually present the evidence was not set. That evidence, says Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters-Baker, will prove Strickland's innocence in a South Kansas City murder that happened more than 40 years ago. Missouri AG Eric Schmidt has repeatedly asked for delays in the hearing, but Judge Welsh says he's ready to get everybody in a courtroom to present ideas for how to proceed. And have me make some rulings and get this thing on the tracks.
0: We'll be right back after a message from our supporters. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. The state of Missouri ranks fifth in the country for the number of people it's put to death in the past 45 years. On Tuesday evening, the state executed Ernest Johnson, a 61-year-old man who was convicted of murdering three people in 1994. But there were a lot of people, including Pope Francis, Missouri Congressional Representatives Cory Bush and Emmanuel Cleaver, and protesters across the state who said he shouldn't have been killed. Jason Hancock is a reporter who has covered this story. He works for the news website The Missouri Independent. And he's joining us over Zoom today. Hi, Jason.
1: Hey, happy to be here.
0: So just to start off, who was Ernest Johnson? Well,
1: Ernest Johnson was convicted of murder, a triple murder in 1995, originally convicted in Columbia, Missouri. He killed three convenience store employees in a Columbia Casey's General store and was sentenced to death. That death sentence was ev- eventually overturned. He had a couple more hearings. It was kind of a, a winding road through the, the court system for Ernest Johnson in this case. And uh, eventually was, and finally convicted and sentenced to death. I believe it was 2006. And through that time, his attorneys had argued that the, the method of execution was unconstitutional. Um, the Pentabarbital, he had asked for execution by firing squad at one point. But also, ultimately, his case rose to national prominence because he and his uh, lawyers and advocates for him had argued that his execution was cruel and unusual because of his intellectual disability.
0: So what did people say about Johnson's disability?
1: They had noted that over his lifetime, he had tested very low on on IQ scores. Um, I believe they had said that he functions at the level of a 12-year-old or younger, depending on which test you looked at. They also mentioned that his mother... Um, that he had been born with fetal alcohol syndrome, that he had had a brain tumor at one point that was benign, and in that you know that he his ent- intellectual disability barred him from being sentenced to death and ultimately executed. Uh, there was a Supreme Court ruling in the early 2000s that said that execution of the intellectually disabled was unconstitutional, and so that was the argument that he was putting forth, and his attorneys were putting forth in the months leading up to. Uh, The Tuesday execution date that case went all the way to the Missouri Supreme Court, which found that that they determined he was not intellectually disabled and could be executed by the state, saying that because he had planned the uh, the crime and he had taken measures to try to cover it up, that he uh, demonstrated that he was uh, intellectually fit to be executed, and Missouri Governor Mike Parson agreed and refused to grant clemency. Um, and just shortly before he was executed Tuesday, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to grant a stay, and that was sort of the last uh, chance he had to avoid execution. And at six eleven p.m. on Tuesday evening, he was declared dead after being injected with pentobarbital.
0: And Johnson had actually had part of his brain removed, right, as as part of treatment for his brain tumor.
1: That's correct. Yeah, and there was some concern amongst his lawyers, at least, that if he were to be injected with uh, pinto that it would be um, painful, that it would cause painful seizures, and that that also should preclude him from being able to be executed. Um, Again, those arguments did not uh, carry the day. And ultimately, he was executed on Tuesday evening.
0: So I kind of want to move the story forward a little bit and talk about the death penalty in Missouri generally. Um, What does the death penalty look like in Missouri right now?
1: Well, this was the first execution in Missouri since last, I think it was March or May, I'd have to look back to remember, but and that one gained national attention because I believe it was the first execution. It must have been May because it would have been the first execution after the pandemic began. And so, you know, it's been a controversy for a number of years over the death penalty here in Missouri. A lot of advocates are concerned about the lack of transparency for years and how the process plays out, how to how the state obtains the, the the lethal injection chemicals that it uses, and obviously there's just been a national trend away from the death penalty, out of concern that it is a biased process that ultimately ends up falling upon those with less means and those in of minority communities, and so. It's sort of playing out in the background of this national discussion of the death penalty. So this even played out in Ernest Johnson's case where we saw it drew international attention in part because Pope Francis, through a U.S. ambassador, wrote to Governor Mike Parson asking him to stop the execution. You know, he has, uh, you know, two years ago, he'd called all executions immoral. And in his letter, he asked Parson to uh, consider Mr. Johnson's, quote, humanity and the sacredness of all human life. This execution played out uh, with this national and international debate over the the humanity and the uh, ethicalness of the death penalty playing out in the background.
0: What other transparency issues are there?
1: Several years ago, there was a lot of different states, not just Missouri, were having difficulties getting their hands on the drugs that they use in lethal injections. Most of them were being made in Europe at the time which has outlawed the death penalty for the most part. And so these companies were just prohibited from selling them to states or any, uh, any government entity that were gonna use them for, to, to carry out death. And so they were going to these um, pharmacies around the country, compound pharmacies, trying to get their hands on this stuff. And I remember covering it, this was you know years ago now, probably two or three, maybe four years ago, where the, the, the state was having to take actual cash to these compound pharmacies in person to buy these drugs in order to use them uh, for, for death penalty cases. And also just everyone involved in a death sentence, whether it be the doctor or any of the medical personnel are obviously kept secret. And, and that's something that nobody really argues with, but the pharmacies that were making the drugs were also kept secret because they were considered part of the execution team. So there have been a lot of questions over the years about how Missouri implements capital punishment I thought one of the more telling moments was when Bob Holden, who's a former governor of Missouri, also joined in the chorus uh, trying to to seek clemency for Ernest Johnson. When he mentioned he actually supports capital punishment and oversaw 20 executions during his four years as governor in the early 2000s, but felt like in this particular instance, uh, given his intellectual disabilities, Ernest Johnson deserved some level of clemency. Um, not freedom. Nobody argued that he was innocent. And there's no doubt that the crimes that he committed were brutal and horrifying, involved, you know, assaulting and killing people not only with a gun, but with a claw hammer and hiding the bodies to to try to get away with it. But they were arguing that even with that brutality, uh, it was mercy was needed because of his intellectual disabilities.
0: What efforts have there been to get rid of the death penalty in Missouri? Uh, are there groups that are for and against the death penalty? and And what do they say?
1: Oh, there absolutely have been efforts. There's been legislation filed every year since I've been in Missouri, which dates back to about 2011, seeking to end the state's capital punishment. But they rarely ever get a lot of traction. But there is bipartisan support. You know, one of the big groups that opposes the death penalty, as we kind of hinted at with Pope, is the Missouri Catholic Conference. And so there are Republican Catholic legislators who have been pushing for an abolition of the death penalty for years, uh, a lot of Democrats have joined those efforts but again like there is a sentiment especially in missouri a very red state a very conservative state that the capital punishment is needed it is warranted that there are just some crimes that are so heinous that the ultimate punishment is deserved and so you're going to find a lot of resistance to abolition and that's why those bills don't get a lot of attraction or a lot of attention in the general assembly and so i think it's going to be it would take some sort of a either a court ruling nationally or or in the state at the state level uh, to do away with it or a governor who just decides that it's just not um, acceptable to them and begins commuting these sentences, which is very rare that before anything such as an abolition of the death penalty could ever take place in Missouri.
0: So according to the Death Penalty Information Center, people of color have made up an increasing percentage of people in death row since 1980. And one common criticism of the death penalty is that it's disproportionately given to Black people like Ernest Johnson. Do we know how much of a role race played in this?
1: There was conversation throughout the the debate over Ernest Johnson about how when he was convicted, um, at least one of the times it was by an all white jury. Um, and so the question remains is, does, do, did he feel like he got a fair trial? But again, like ultimately, even he wasn't arguing his innocence. You know, he wasn't arguing that he didn't commit these crimes. The argument was whether the death penalty was cruel and unusual and therefore unconstitutional. But you're right that that's been the big argument against the death penalty for years is that it is um, overwhelmingly a burden put on communities of color as opposed to anybody else and therefore is just inherently unjust.
0: So Missouri Governor Mike Parson has faced some criticism over the people that he's pardoned and granted clemency to over his tenure as governor. Um, For example, he pardoned the McCloskeys, who were a a white St. Louis couple who pointed guns at Black Lives Matter protesters last year. And he's declined multiple times to pardon Kevin Strickland, who's a black man that Jackson County prosecutors now say uh, didn't commit the crimes that he was convicted of. You know, the question of how much race plays a role in in Parsons' decisions to pardon or grant clemency to people, or how much politics plays a role in that?
1: Well, it's an interesting dichotomy with this governor. You know, he has, to date, granted 168 pardons, 13 commutations, um, and has far and away surpassed his predecessors. Um, He he released a, a statement, uh, maybe it was last week, uh, that said that he has granted clemency to more individuals as Missouri governor in the last, than, than any Missouri governor in the last 40 years. Um, it has been a big piece of his administration, especially during his second term, which I think is somewhat telling. After he got reelected, he did start granting a lot of pardons and commutations. But in these high-profile cases, you're right, Kevin Strickland, Lamar Johnson in St. Louis, um, he has been very hesitant to get involved and has publicly stated that he believes that the sentences were correct, that they were justified in being sent to prison. And so he's siding with, uh, with the Attorney General's office and with the original prosecutors. So it is, like I said, it's a dichotomy. This is a governor who has granted, is trying to clear out the backlog of clemency application and it has, has, just is on pace to, to grant uh, freedom to, to more people and commute more sentences than p- potentially any governor in Missouri's history. But again, with some of these very high profile cases, he has been in, in very, uh, he's been dug in in his opposition.
0: Jason Hancock is a reporter covering Missouri government for the Missouri Independent. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by CJ Janavi. You can stream us online at KCUR.org, where you can also find some of Jason's reporting on Missouri government. As always, you can catch Kansas City's NPR station live on the air at 89.3 FM. Tomorrow, we'll hear how an indie bookstore in Kansas adapted to the pandemic. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.